And now, from our studios in Kansas City, Sci-Fi For Me Radio is live from the bunker. Alright, ladies and gentlemen, here we go once more into the breach, dear friends. Cry havoc and let slip the dogs of war, or something like that, right? Good afternoon, welcome. We are live from the bunker. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor-in-chief here at Sci-Fi For Me. You can find us at scififorme.com. Sci-Fi For Me TV will take you to the YouTube channel. We are broadcasting live there and on Odyssey and Facebook, so you can join the conversation if you are with us live. Uh, you can leave a comment, jump in the chat. If you prefer, you can uh, reach us on social media. Email address, live from the bunker at sci fi for mecom And this show, as well as the H2O podcast, both available on a number of podcast platforms. So uh, if you want to join us over there, you are more than welcome. Uh, we've got listeners all over the world. Russia, New Zealand, Germany, Iceland. So uh, our, our plans for world domination are continuing so hello everybody um let's let's follow up on a couple of things over on the dot com uh we posted late last night an article that connects with our interview with brink stevens from yesterday it is a primer on a couple uh, on four Four of Brink's titles that have been uh, re-released. Uh, Christopher Hoffman put that that together, so you can check that out. And uh, we do invite you to look at that interview uh, as we roll into Halloween. I mean, where did the year go, right? Uh, speaking of Halloween, of course, candy and that sort of thing. It is National Chocolate Day. Mrs. Boss, did you know that it was National Chocolate Day? Were you uh, were you aware? Did not. did not know. Oh, see, the keeper of the calendar uh, sometimes has to be reminded of these things. It is National Chocolate Day, so I will probably have some chocolate today. Probably, probably. So, uh, okay, a follow-up to our discussion on Monday. I was talking about how creativity, I think, in my view, some of the current year modern era creators are somewhat limited in the fact that they don't, maybe, and this is supposition on my part, but they don't uh, always have an appreciation for the classics. They, they're they reading Harry Potter, but they're not reading Dostoevsky, for example. And now we have this, uh, this article uh, out of cambridgetoday.ca. This is up in Canada. And they're running into this kind of thing as well. Headline, books deemed harmful to staff and students are being removed from region's public school libraries. Uh, this was from October 26th, and I'm not going to go through all of this, but basically they're talking about the various different books that are now politically incorrect, things like Lord of the Flies, To Kill a Mockingbird. Of course, To Kill a Mockingbird has frequently been a target of certain particular movements who think they're working for the greater good. And Margaret Atwood's The Handmaid's Tale is now starting to show up on some of these lists. And I find that interesting because I thought The Handmaid's Tale was celebrated as an attack on misogyny and the patriarchy. But Margaret Atwood has stepped in it because you do a search now for her name, and there are all sorts of headlines about how she's now in the transphobia camp. Uh, 
So does that mean that The Handmaid's Tale is now no longer uh, a, a manifesto against the patriarchy and religious authoritarianism? Because, you know, it's been celebrated by the left for a number of years now, especially since the TV show was on. Now Margaret Atwood is another J.K. Rowling because she has the temerity and the audacity to express an opinion that doesn't conform with Twitter. And, hello Cam, I see you in the chat there. Good to see you. And it's interesting to me to see, and, and, and this goes back to other conversations that we've had here, other observations that I've made with regard to the cancel culture, eventually they turn on themselves. They turn on each other because there are no, there are no longer any other targets left. And Margaret Atwood is just the latest target of opportunity for this. Militant activists, uh, busybodies, uh, it, who who have nothing better to do than to police other people's speech, police other people's thoughts, and declare you the enemy if you don't agree with them. But I want to I want to I want to turn that around just a little bit because you as the consumer. You, as a person who might not necessarily agree with the progressive far left, there are a lot of people sitting there going, oh, I, just, I, don't, I don't know if there's anybody else out there. You know, we've had, we've, I've had conversations in private with people who have sat there and said, you know, I think this certain way, and, you know, I, I see what's happening in... in in pop culture, I see what's happening in our politics, I see what's happening with our economy, and there are things that I don't like, but I, you know, I, I don't know that I'm, I'm not going to be able to speak up. I mean, what's one person? What can one person do? Now, remember what Winton Knight said to Michael Long, one man can make a difference, especially if he's got a talking car. But... Since we don't have talking cars, we've got to rely on other resources. And what I want to do today, I want to, I want to look at uh, a report from The Verge because this does go into other aspects of fandom as well as consumer movements. So hang with me here for a minute because... I'm, I'm going to circle down to my point, so, so hang tight here. Now, we've got the new trailer for Masters of the Universe Revelation, the second half of the first season, and it looks very much like it's, you know, He-Man is back, and there's all of this, you know, yes, there's still some focus on Tila and some of the things that she's got to do, but He-Man is all over this promo. And I have to wonder... If the marketing in, in that was affected by the backlash for part one, maybe. And here's why I'm thinking that it might, it might be that way. Pure speculation on my part. But this is an article from The Verge dated October 26th. Zoe Schiffer, uh, the, uh, the author here, headline, Netflix scrambled internally to suppress a controversial movie from search results. Subheadline: The streaming giant kept cuties from appearing in some search results and recommendations after backlash to the poster. Now, it's it's characterizing the situation as a very specific way, but the backlash wasn't just to the poster. Let's keep that in mind. The backlash was not just about the marketing. That's where it started. But when people started to see what the film was about, there were certain people who had problems with it. And I know just some guy came out and said, the movie itself is not as bad as the marketing made it out to be. And the, and the director herself had come out and said, you're taking the wrong thing out of what, this, what the point of the film is. But the execution of both 
the film itself and the marketing got quite a bit of backlash and controversy. And Netflix apparently reacted and adjusted. All right, so from the article. In September 2020, Netflix was in turmoil as the company battled its most significant PR scandal to date. Earlier that year, the streaming platform had acquired the worldwide rights to the French film Cuties after it la its lauded premiere at the Sundance Film Festival. Uh, and then uh, director Maimouna Decore had made the movie as a commentary on social media and the hypersexualization of young girls. So there's the, there's the actual stated purpose of the film. But the poster Netflix released to promote it didn't have that same self-awareness. Instead, it displayed the actors, some of whom were only 12 years old, in booty shorts and crop tops striking provocative dance poses. The fallout was immediate. Hashtag cancel Netflix started trending on Twitter. QAnon conspiracy theorists <clears throat> claimed the company was distributing child porn and started tweeting about it with the hashtag save the children. A change.org petition calling for the film to be removed has more than 40,000 signatures. Texas House of Representatives member Matt Schaefer asked Attorney General Ken Paxton to investigate the film for possible violations of child exploitation and child pornography laws. Now, as an aside, I, I Netflix, I do believe, was indicted in Texas over this. There was an indictment issued. Uh, I have to go back and see if I can find that. Uh, Mrs. Boss, do you have a moment, if you can look up Texas indictment over cuties? I think it was uh, Netflix got indicted. Um so, continuing here from the, from the article, Netflix apologized for the poster, but stood by the film. After all, the frenzied response was to the marketing, not to the movie itself. Co-CEO Ted Sarandos called the director Maimuna Decore to personally own up to the mistake, according to Deadline. Behind the scenes, however, this is where it gets interesting. Behind the scenes, however, Netflix scrambled to minimize public backlash by suppressing the film in search results prior to its release. It removed cuties from the coming soon and popular searches categories and excluded it from queries for cute. It then adjusted its algorithm so searches for the film would not surface, quote, semi sexual titles or kids' movies. Okay, I got it. All right, thank you. The incident hit hints at how Netflix can manipulate its algorithm to navigate a PR crisis, walking a fine line between allowing for creative expression while tightly controlling a movie's reach. Internal documents reviewed by The Verge detail how Netflix dealt with this PR crisis by, in the company's own words, quote, suppressing promotion and related search queries. So... Here's here you have an example of a company reacting, responding to consumer backlash. People were starting to cancel their subscriptions to Netflix over this. And I'll go somewhere with that here in a minute. Put a pin in that. People were reacting to this. People were complaining. People were sitting there. Now there were some people that watched the movie and said, okay, I'm not going to I'm not going to make up my mind until my, until I see it. Which, okay, that's what you want to do. You want to have an informed opinion. That's perfectly acceptable. And for Netflix to react and, re and, and alter their marketing plan, alter the access that people would have to this particular product, it shows that these companies... When they are working with algorithms and machine learning, <clears throat> they can manipulate how those algorithms actually work. They can put parameters and put limits and put exceptions, and they can tell those algorithms what to do and what not to do. So they're not just fire and forget. They're not just put these algorithms out there and just let them do what they do. They can be adjusted 
despite the fact that some people sit there and say, well, it's just the algorithm does it. Okay, well, you change the algorithm. And Netflix did that here. Uh, this also from The Verge, Netflix, this was, uh, when was this? October 7th of 2020. Indicted in Texas on charges that the film Cuties contains lewd depictions of children. So this was an actual uh, indictment in a grand jury in Tyler County, Texas. Uh, Representative Matt Schaefer. So they did follow through on that. Now back to the uh, back to the other article here. In a response to a request for comment from The Verge, a Netflix spokesperson said, quote, Our recommendations help members find great titles to watch amidst all the choices on Netflix. Not every title gets promoted in the same way, just as every member's homepage is different. Okay. Inside Netflix. Inside Netflix, the fallout from Cuties has been compared to Facebook's Cambridge Analytica scandal. Do you remember that, where we're talking about there was this company over in London that was getting access to all of this data to use for political campaigns? A moment of reckoning where the company realized it was going to be held responsible for anything that happened on its platform. This is where it gets interesting, folks. Because... This is where the cracks in the narrative start to appear. This is, this is the most interesting part about this whole thing that I think is, is relevant to all of this discussion. Uh, where the company realized it was going to be held responsible for anything that happened on its platform. Quote, this incident demonstrated that we see ourselves as just a conduit for content, read one analysis called a post-mortem on the incident. Quote, in contrast, our members see us as the source, as the author-presenter. As a result, we may unconsciously absolve ourselves of the need to view our content through this lens. This can be applied to everybody else. These companies continue to claim that they don't have any responsibility. This whole Section 230 argument is about this kind of thing. Facebook and, and, and Twitter and, and Google and whoever else, they're sitting there saying, well, we're just a platform. And yet, they continue to manipulate their algorithms to determine what you see, what you don't see, what you can share, what you can like, what you can comment on, what you can post. And it, it raises a question in my mind, do these people actually really naively think that they're just a platform? Because if Netflix has this little bing, aha moment, oh, they think we're responsible for it. Well, you put the program on your streaming channel. You manipulated the algorithm to keep people from finding it after people expressed their displeasure at your marketing plan. People had an impact. I see Sci-Fi Snob in the chat. Mazerus, good afternoon. Um, let's see here. Go through here. Cam1138, Handmaid's LARPers are the worst. <laughs> uh, Sci-Fi Snob, comic book industry continues to put out woke garbage despite years of backlash and declining sales. I, uh, I'm going, I got I got a, I got a thought on that. And no, I'm not. I'm not quite sure that Ethan has it right that uh, the government is paying DC and Marvel to put out woke political things. Um, Perch had a had an analysis on this because people have been taking him to task. Why don't you just admit there's a woke agenda? And uh, he's got a he's got a good video on this. We've we've linked to it before, but it's uh, his point is. While there may be some creators that are specifically out to put out, you know, political messages and ideological stuff, he said the bigger problem 
is the fact that you've got people in the in the top two comics publishers, DC and Marvel, who just don't have very much talent. And not just the writers or the artists, but also the editors and, and the people who are in charge behind the scenes for, for getting this stuff out. So it's a it's a craft issue as much as it is uh, a, a, an ideology issue. So I, I, I can see some of that. Um, and you never know. Ethan has been correct on some things before. He has he's been ahead of the curve on some of the predictions that he's made, but... You know, is that him projecting forward as a logical progression of what's happening? Or does he have people that tell him things still from the inside? The world may never know. But this this article here on The Verge, it reveals that consumers do have an impact. But why is this article out now? Well... They're using that. They're using that controversy to push back against Dave Chappelle. Because in the next paragraph in this article, the cuties controversy also highlights why some employees have been disappointed by the executive response to Dave Chappelle's comedy special, The Closer which released earlier this year and has been widely criticized as transphobic. Widely criticized? I'd say loudly criticized from a certain segment of online population, but widely criticized? Is it just the media people who are criticizing this, or has there been wide criticism? Because Rotten Tomatoes would beg to differ. What's he sitting at? What's the closer sitting out on Rotten Tomatoes right now for consumer uh, a consumer rating? Ninety something. While the cuties' backlash was partly driven by QAnon conspiracy theorists who likely hadn't seen the film. Okay. See, you gotta get their digs in. The Closer's criticism came from employees, trans activists, and prominent civil rights organizations, and Netflix did not appear to respond with the same level of urgency. Some at the company felt bad faith attacks were taken more seriously than criticism from Netflix's own workers. This past month, Sarandos doubled down on his support of Dave Chappelle and defended his decision to keep the closer on the platform. The company also did not suppress the special in search results, recommendations, or on-platform promotional materials. That's because Dave Chappelle makes him money. Who benefits? Remember, that's the question, always. It's not follow the money, it's who benefits. Who benefits from Dave Chappelle still being out there and his special being on Netflix? Well, Netflix benefits because you do have controversy, yes. But as Dave Chappelle even you know, asked in one of his shows, am I canceled? And the resounding answer was no. It's interesting. Audience. I'm sorry? Audience score is 96. Audience score is 96. And Critic score is 44. 44. Okay. See, and you can almost you can almost bet even money that anything that the critics don't like is going to be popular with the general public. Because our sensibilities are different. That's just the way it is. It doesn't have anything to do with politics so much. But I think when you look at the controversies that come up, and trans activists, activist is the active word there. You have people in various different marginalized groups, protected class groups, who are activists and are rabid activists to the point of violence. We saw what happened with some of the some of the people that were out doing a counter protest when Netflix employees walked out and they were doing a protest out front of the building. 
but if you if you look at things now like here's an ad the new ad for Twix for example this Halloween thing you have the new nanny shows up nanny is dressed as a goth witch and the child is who are you and I'm your new nanny okay so they do a bunch of you know nanny babysitting things they're drawing and running around doing whatever and at the end of this thing the child is at the park with the nanny. The child is bullied by some by another kid wearing a cape. And it's revealed at the end of this spot that this child is a boy in a dress. And the the nanny is actually a witch and she does her little WandaVision waving her arms and the other kid gets blown away and the only thing left is the cape. So, on the one hand, a lot of people are saying, well, the message is that bullying is bad. Okay, bullying is bad. Let's stipulate that. But the other part of this is it's normalizing behavior that's not normal. Uh, I, I, I didn't even see in this ad, I use that term loosely, there's no product. It's definitely a message and it's aimed at people who are uh, not willing, not supportive of transgender mindset. But there's nothing about the product in this ad. Nor is there anything in this product, and nothing about the product in the new Doritos ad, which is set at the Dia de los Muertos, the Day of the Dead, which is a, which is a holiday in Mexico, and the family is getting together and they're cel- they're they're commemorating the uncle who has just passed, and they're setting out the food, they're doing whatever there in the in the in the little altar. And Uncle's ghost shows up. Poof, 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 poof. Here's the uncle. Uncle says, I'm fine. It's good to see you all. He's dead now, remember. And he takes his hat off. And another gentleman comes out from behind. And they're like, who is this? And he's like, oh, this is my new partner. And there's so many things wrong with this. Because that's not how the afterlife works. One. Two. It's not about the product. This is a whole thing about normalizing behavior that maybe applies to 5% of the population of the United States. Since it's data. 7% maybe. I don't know. Uh, Mazer says, I'll be straight about this ad. The message, about the Twix ad. The the message is, unsupportive hate speech clearly earns a violent physical retaliation. That kid got propelled backwards fast enough to rip his cape off. Yep. That's the subtle subtext that they don't sit there and say right out in the open. Um... (laughs) Sci-Fi Snob says, the message is, it's okay to murder people with witchcraft... Who bully you? I, I don't, I don't understand this. I've been in the media for thirty-three years, and marketing has been the primary focus of a lot of what I've done over the years. P- TV promotions, television commercials. I have done this. I have built newspaper and magazine ads. I've done photo shoots. I've done web videos. I've done all sorts of, you know, product demos and testimonial interviews and that kind of thing. This does nothing to promote the product. And coming up on Halloween, there's a horror aspect to it, but I don't think, I don't, on the Twix thing, the horror is not the bullying. The horror is the retaliation that it says, basically this is, you, you know, you guys are right. The, the, the ad for the Twix thing 
basically says it's okay to beat up people who, who, who criticize you. It's okay to beat up people who don't agree with you. That's the, that's the tacit understanding here. Now, what do we do about it? Because there are people out there who think, oh, well, you know, these, these companies are so big. You know, Google is such a huge company. Disney is such a huge company. We can't do anything. I think we can. We'll talk about that when we get back. This is Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Be sure to connect with us on social media and subscribe to our channels so you don't miss our next broadcast. You know the film is going to end ba- it's going to end badly for all of these people and you don't care. Horribly disgusting, revolting. Did that just happen? There is no kill like overkill. I was so scared that I wanted to take my lower lip and pull it out and pull it over my head so I could cover my eyes. Foreign Bodies, Saturday at 1 p.m. Eastern, only on Sci-Fi For Me TV. Hi everyone, it's McKenna Talley from Salacious Crumbs. Just a quick reminder for all the latest Star Wars news and rumor, be sure to check out our show Salacious Crumbs right here on Sci-Fi For Me TV, Sundays at 5 p.m. Eastern, 4 Central. Back live from the studio, Sci-Fi for Me TV, Sci-Fi for Me Radio. My name is Jason Hunt. I am the editor here. I'm in charge. They call me Mr. Boss. So, what do we do? Mazer says, great earmark work there compiling all the that's a good question compliments. Thank you very much. We have more. I'll be putting together another one, I'm sure. Uh, Sci-Fi Snob says, people are, really, people are going to be really surprised when they find out how the afterlife works. Yep. And I would say that people who even think how the afterlife works are going to be surprised at how the afterlife works because there are some teachings out there and I don't want to get off on a tangent here but there are some teachings about the afterlife that are not correct and these are from people who supposedly know uh, but no there are there are things about the afterlife that get taught that are not correct I'll say that. Okay, so so what do we do about this kind of thing? I want to take you back to something that Harrison Ford said in an interview a while back. And this is where this is where my starting point is for all of this. Harrison Ford does not consider his fans to be fans. His approach is that the fans are customers. The fans are customers. And this is something that the comics industry needs to learn, but I think it's too far past the point where they can learn this. Maybe. I don't know. We're starting... I think the jury's still out on on the comics industry. I really do. Because every now and again, you get some indications that somebody in comics is sitting there going, you know what? Maybe we ought to do this other thing that people are going to like. Comics is still a mixed bag. But when Harrison Ford sits there and says, my fans are customers, he's looking at it as a business proposition. This is a transactional relationship between the customer and the supplier, the retailer, the person who's selling the product. Whether you're selling your services as a plumber or an entertainer, if you're telling a story, you're making a you're making a, a you're making a box of cigars, you're selling uh, beer and pretzels or baseball or whatever. The person who buys the ticket, the person who buys the product, is a customer and should be respected 
Because if they decide not to buy your product and they go someplace else, that has an effect on your bottom line. And that also affects how you can do business in the future. Or whether or not you can do business in the future. I mean, you look at Solo. Solo lost money. Solo lost money, I think, for a few different reasons, one of which being backlash against The Last Jedi. Solo also lost money because there were people who sat there and said, we don't need this story. We didn't ask for this story. We don't want a Han Solo prequel. We don't need his origin story. And there were other people who didn't want to see it because Harrison Ford wasn't playing the part. And there were other people who sat there and said, it's just not very good. It's okay. I think if it had come out six months after it did, six months later than it did, it probably would not have bombed as badly. But you still are dealing with anger from Last Jedi even now. And the backlash from the fans, the backlash from the customers was such that Disney, Bob Iger, said, okay, we've got to rethink our entire strategy with regard to Star Wars. Because remember, at that time, we were going to get a movie every year. And then suddenly we weren't. And then suddenly the focus was Star Wars on television, because now we've got this new thing called Disney Plus that we got to sell. And if there wasn't an effort for TV in the form of The Mandalorian, and now you've got Kenobi and you've got Andrew, you've got all this stuff in the Favreau-verse or the Filoni-verse or whatever, if those pieces had not been in place, Star Wars would be in a much worse position from the standpoint of public perception than they already are. Backlash sometimes does have an effect. People are not buying the sequel trilogy toys, for example. You know, how many videos did we see where shelves were full of Rose Tico action figures that nobody wanted? Ray, Mary Sue action figures that nobody wanted. People still complain about The Last Jedi. And it's been how long now? Five years? Six years? When did The Last Jedi come out? 2015? No. 2017? I don't know. But people still complain about it. And we continue to debate and argue whether or not Kathleen Kennedy has any say in what's going on at Lucasfilm. There are people who are continuing to call for her ouster. There are people who are discussing all of the different possibilities and ramifications. What if Kathleen Kennedy doesn't get her contract renewed? What if she does? What does that mean? Indiana Jones 5 has been pushed out a year. What does that mean? Why is that? Is it because fans are sitting there looking at the possibility that Phoebe Waller-Bridge is taking over as a female Indiana Jones and people are sitting there saying, not on my watch. I don't know. But this is nothing new. Mazur says, My 25-year-old son who hates the sequel trilogy with a purple passion oddly likes Solo. I never got it, but I didn't disown him for it. <laughs> well, see, you can... And this is, this is something that I said when Enterprise came out. And even, even The Last Jedi, I've even said it about The Last Jedi... There are, there are certain stories that get told within the continuity of a franchise. Enterprise 1, The Last Jedi 1, that if those stories were told outside of that franchise, they'd be perfectly acceptable pieces of science fiction. Enterprise works as science fiction in the general sense. But Enterprise doesn't work as a Star Trek series because it's already behind the eight ball being a prequel. 
Because if they sit there and they say, okay, this happens 50 years before the original series, you're locked into having to adhere to a piece of canon and you've got to, you've got to get through that. The first three years didn't do that very well. Manny Cotto comes on board. Season four is probably the best Star Trek episodes out of the whole series. But by then it was too late. The whole, you know, the show had been canceled. Manny Cotto had an idea, had ideas for season five that would have taken it further into Star Trek canon but he never got a chance to do it. We talked about that over on uh, on Deep Space Minds a very long time ago. But you go back to Star Trek in the 60s when John and B. Joe Trimble organized the fan letter writing campaign to save Star Trek. You remember that? You know, there are there are all sorts of stories about how the Trimbles saved Star Trek. The fans saved Star Trek. Cagney and Lacey is another example of that. Jericho, there was the peanut campaign, people sending peanuts various different places. Chuck, when it was on the bubble and weren't, we weren't sure if we were going to get any more Chuck, there was the whole, you know, go to Subway and tell people you watch Chuck because Subway was a sponsor of the show. These things do make a difference. They do matter. I mean, I just, just, was it yesterday, day before? When did I go to the grocery store? Was it yesterday? Yeah. Yesterday. I lose track. I'm old and I sleep. So yesterday, I had to go get milk. I drove to another county that didn't have a mask mandate to get milk. I'm a consumer. I'm making a decision where to spend my money based on how a business is behaving. Sci-Fi Snipes says, Solo was a bad movie and the reasons for Han's origin just made it worse. I, I, Solo was an okay, now this, this personally is just me, Solo was an okay movie, and that's another example of if you had it Outside of the Star Wars continuity, if it wasn't a Star Wars movie, it probably would have been received a little bit better because you don't have the baggage of expectation that's attached to it. The Last Jedi, same way. It's, it, the story doesn't hold up. The story's crap. And... I've, you know, we, we've gone through how Ryan Johnson was completely off the rails in, ter in, in terms of Act 1, Act 2, Act 3. But if it had been its own thing, even in the Star Wars universe, if it had been its own individual movie, I think people probably would not have hated it as much. You'd still get fans hating it. You'd still get people looking at it going, that story doesn't make any sense. That's kind of dumb. Who is this Admiral Holdo person? Why, why am I supposed to care about this? Why is, why is Poe Dameron making your mama jokes? I mean, there's, there's, there are some things in that movie that are so stupid. But within the context of the trilogy, it makes it even worse, the damage that got done. But you look at the things that are going on. Consumers have more impact than you might think. This, uh, this interview with Kelly Sue DeConnick that popped up that was from, what, 2019? No, it was from further back than that. 2014, 2015, something like that, where she was basically saying, you know, the comics industry is really not doing all that well. It's it, there, there are some concerns. Now, this comes after she sat there and said, if you don't like my politics, don't buy my book. And people went, okay. And sales for the main publishers of comics are down all over. DC, Marvel, Image, and then we've got the news this week, Image Comics making the announcement that they're not going to do second printings 
And part of that is supply chain issues. Paper products, you know, there's a shortage on paper. There's, uh, you know, transportation issues, all sorts of problems that are economic related. But you look at the politics, too. You know, I mentioned I mentioned going to another going to a grocery store in another county because of the mask mandates here in here in Kansas City. There's a recall petition for the mayor and three city council people over over all of this mask mandate stuff. And wherever you sit one way or the other on it. There is a mechanism for change and consumers sit there and go, oh, I, I it, it's just me. It can't be just me. But you don't know who else is out there that thinks the same way you do. Now, there are those of us who get on these social media channels. We have platforms. We start broadcasting. We do these shows. We do these videos. We mouth off about things. And the general accepted ratio, at least in the past has been that if you write a letter to a company expressing your displeasure about a product or a service, it generally represents more than a handful of people who aren't writing in but still think the same way. My dad still writes letters to companies. Now, he he may do emails now, but he has taken the time to write letters to companies, both expressing both his displeasure at things, but also to express his satisfaction at certain things. He's like, I like the way you did this. I wanted to let you know. Because that's important too. It's not just protesting against what you don't like, although that has an impact. I mean, you look at what's going on down in Melbourne. You look in and London, and New York, and Paris, and Italy. Political pressure, same kind of, same kind of concept here. Political pressure and economic pressure kind of go hand in hand. You're the consumer. It's your money. It's your vote. You have much more control over the process than you might think you do. I mean, look at, look at the Brandon songs, for example. Five of the top ten downloads on iTunes are Let's Go Brandon songs. That's a consumer backlash. You look at the parents who are going to the school board meetings, and this is after a year where, where now with parents and dealing with kids having to, to learn on Zoom, and now we've got exposure and, and, and understanding a little bit more about what the teachers are actually teaching in these schools, and the parents are sitting there going, hey, hang, hang on, hold on, wait a minute, excuse me, I have a question. And they're angry. They're angry about a lot of different things. And the National School Board Association comes in and says, well, well they're, they're, they're domestic terrorists. And they coordinate with the White House to come up with this plan. And the White House gives the Department of Justice's marching orders to investigate parents who are upset at school boards for the way they're treating their kids. Now, I'm sorry. If my kid is being abused... If my kid is being indoctrinated, you better bet I'm going to have something to say about it. I have. I have had plenty of conversations with my kids' teachers and principals and counselors and vice principals and sat there and said, what do we do about this? What is our plan? I was very involved in discussions with the education people to say, you're not going to let my kid slip through the cracks. And you've got parents who are upset about lots of different things, not just what's going on in schools. These are consumer movements. If you look at them as consumer movements, the consumer, the consent of the governed, the consent of the consumer, it's the same kind of principle. 
I'm going to withhold my money from your business because I don't like how your business is doing business. Disney, the Walt Disney Company changed their entire strategy with regard to Star Wars because of you, the consumer. Netflix is standing behind Dave Chappelle because of you, the consumer. Businesses do notice these things. They may not come out right and say it. They may not acknowledge it in public because they don't want to face backlash from those 12 crazy, emotionally constipated children on Twitter. But they do notice. Some of them make adjustments. Some of them don't. Which leaves you still in the position where you decide whether you want to keep doing business with that business or not. Do you want to keep giving them your money? Or... Do you want to give them give give your money to other businesses like ours? We got a PayPal link. We got a Subscribestar account. We'll take super chats. Uh, Sci-fi stop. I think they see a letter as ten times phone call is less. It's based on the effort it takes to complain or comment. There is something to that. Yes. Yeah. Um. I. At one point, the ratio, I think, was 1 to 50, I think. But this is this has been a number of years where one letter would be the equivalent of 50 people sitting there saying, this is how I feel. I don't know what the ratio is right now that's generally accepted in the, in the, in the advertising world, the business community. But I'm sure that it, there's a significant ratio there, especially given how social media works. And that's another thing. Facebook has got to be noticing some of this stuff. Twitter has got to be noticing some of this stuff. And you have to wonder about some of their movements, some of their decisions behind the scenes. Now, you've got this, you've got this woman coming out about how Facebook needs more regulation, more censorship. Now, that's a red herring for me. I think she's a plant. I think she's part of an overall movement to get more censorship on conservative voices. That's just me. Cam1138 says they should consider a Twitter comment as one millionth of a letter. <laughs> no, it's one one thousand twenty eighth of a letter. Right? Uh, Mazur says Netflix is going to become the most powerful media company in the world sooner or later. And maybe one day they won't care about what the consumer thinks, but you're correct right now. They are. I, I think. I don't know that Netflix is going to become the biggest. I mean, you look at the different things that the Disney company owns and you stop and consider the Paramount decision from 1927, I think it was, the, and and the 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 government's breaking up of AT and T, and you know all of the different Bell telephone companies in the in the 80s. There there comes a point in time, and I think Disney's going to be facing this as well. I think Facebook is going to face it very soon where the regulatory agencies are going to sit there and say, you're too big. And there will be some forced breakage of these businesses. I think Disney is going to have to uh, split off some of their stuff. Um, I don't... We still don't have any indication whether or not the Warner Brothers Discovery merger is going to happen or not because it's still got to go through uh, government regulatory approvals. Google is too big. Google needs to be broken up into all its component parts. I don't know that that would help as much as people might like to think it might. Uh, 
But Google's too big. Alphabet is too big. Silicon Valley has too much sway over our personal interactions. And given how much we talk politics on some of these platforms, uh, Section 230 really needs to be looked at. And it's like it's like this these internal documents from Netflix. They're sitting there going, "Oh, people think that we're responsible for these programs." Yeah, this is a wake up call, and it could very well be. Now, yes, they're putting this out there as a way to hit back at Netflix over the Chappelle thing, but they have accidentally swerved into a more important point that when these companies Netflix, YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, all of these companies when they decide what you can or cannot post or see or read or watch they are no longer just a platform. That's one side. That's one takeaway from this thing. I don't think they quite really thought that that might be the biggest takeaway. But that is for me. Is that these companies are starting to realize that you, as the consumer, are the ones in charge. And your perception of what these companies are responsible for does make a difference, does have an impact. And you do have that control. You're the customer. Whether it's politics or business, and I've said this before, it's your vote, it's your money, it's your choice. You have the power to turn the switch off, change the channel, go to a different business, spend your money or not spend your money based on how you feel that business is conducting themselves. And if enough people do it, enough people stand up and they say enough is enough, we can affect change. Whatever the, the issue is, we see it now with a consumer movement in the comics industry called Comicsgate. Gamergate was a consumer movement. Gamergate came out there and said, hey, if you're reporting on this game and you're fully, you know, you're financially invested in it, we ought to know about that. If you're a journalist covering video games, then you should be held to a certain ethical standard. And consumer uh, comics gates, same thing. You know, if you're going to make a product, you need to make a product that doesn't have self-insert characters and your political agenda right there being out there front and center. You want to make it a subtext, that's fine. You want to do a message manifesto comic book, fine. Don't expect anybody to buy it. And don't go crying to Twitter if nobody buys your book because it's a bunch of crap. Whether it's badly written, badly drawn art, or if it's got a political agenda, if people don't want to buy it, that's not up to them. That's, it's, it's, that's not, it's not something that you can do anything about. Boo-hoo about it all you want. But if people don't want your product, it's because they don't like what you're doing with your product. Whatever it is, I have I have restaurants that I'm constantly there's there's a couple of different restaurants I constantly go in there and say you don't have cherry pie on the menu yet. Why don't you have cherry pie on the menu yet? I've written the feedback cards whenever you know they introduce new items on the menu this 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 test run. Now, what do you think about it? You still need cherry pie on the menu. People can affect change. Consumers can affect change. And with regard to certain particular aspects of our society, we don't get normal back until we take normal back. And what that looks like is going to depend on you. You have the money. You have the votes. You can affect change. 
All right, that's going to do it for us today. Thanks very much for being here with us. We're glad that you keep coming back. Those of you who are new, we do invite you to subscribe to the channel. And uh, <laughs> Mazur says, I'm trying to imagine you saying that in that tone of voice at the front counter of a Perkins. Uh, Perkins actually has, I think, cherry pie. I don't know. Maybe? I don't know. Uh, Christopher Hoppen, I recently wrote an email requesting some PR material to what I thought was a small film company. Turns out that it was just a part of Entertainment One, which is now owned by Hasbro. Yeah, funny how that works, isn't it? There are, what, five or six corporations that own everything now? They don't own us yet. Those of you who are new, we do invite you to subscribe. All of you find us over on Odyssey and connect with us over there as well as all the social medias. We do invite you to sign up for our newsletter. Uh, new, brand new season of Foreign Bodies this Saturday, 1 p.m. Eastern, 12 Central, October 30th. We kick off season three with a visit to France. And then I do think also this weekend is a... No, this weekend is not a uh, uh, Salacious Crumbs weekend. We'll have Salacious Crumbs on the 7th. Uh, but we will have Foreign Bodies. We will have Good Morning Multiverse with the uh, headlines for the, for the week and the weather forecast for next weekend. And then we'll do this all again starting back on Monday. So have a good weekend, everyone. Remember, there are four lights. This has been a presentation of Sci-Fi For Me Radio. Copyright 2021 by Flaming Dog Media, LLC. All rights reserved. No portion of this program may be retransmitted without the express written consent of Flaming Dog Media. 